It is indeed good to be in the house of the Lord. What a blessing to be amongst God's people on this beautiful Sunday afternoon and evening. To gather with the saints, to lift up, to glorify, to praise your name. To witness again in the sacrament of baptism the promises that you have made to us in Christ. And to be with you. Ah, Lord, we do look forward to glory. Glory, Father, when we shall no longer be in this tent. But we shall be with you forever and ever. And all God's people say, Amen. Let's stand, please. Our call to worship, the opening verses of Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. The Lord your God welcomes you and greets you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. When that sing our faith. Tonight as well, in the words of the Apostles' Creed, it's number 560 in the hymn books, Singing Our Faith, 560.
You may be seated. I will concur with Brad. What beautiful singing this evening in God's house. Just want to prepare you uh, after the baptism. Uh, there's a song inserted in the pews in front of you, um, as we have done for uh, the other children. Uh, Bill and Becky's selection is Because He Lives. So if you just have that ready and prepared for that time as well. Last Lord's Day, as you know, I had the privilege of baptizing our grandchild, uh, Brixley, and uh, it was a little bit different because we had the baptism after the sermon, and uh, as you know, that always creates a little bit added stress. Are they going to be good for that long? Um, so I kind of, and I think that's the practice there, and that's fine, that works for them, but uh, I think our parents feel a little more comfortable when we have it at the beginning, and that uh, way if their children do uh, become uncomfortable, uh, they don't have to uh, try to still them and quiet them for such a long period of time. So Bill and Becky are saying, okay, Pastor Bob, get on with it. So we turn to the form for the sacrament of baptism, and we do so uh, as a reminder to ourselves about what baptism stands for, what it signifies, but also what it doesn't do. And I pray that you'll listen, listen carefully. I know these are familiar words, and sometimes in their familiarity we uh, cease to listen closely. But here, that which we are confessing and that which we are practicing as we come to this baptism. The Lord Jesus Christ instituted baptism as a covenant sign and seal for his church. He uses it not only for the solemn admission of the person who is baptized into the visible church, but also to depict and to confirm his engrafting of persons into himself and his including of persons in the covenant of grace. The Lord uses baptism to portray to us that we and our children are conceived and born in sin and need to be cleansed. He uses it to witness and seal to us the remission of sins and the bestowal of all the gifts of salvation through union with Christ. Baptism with water signifies and seals cleansing from sin by the blood and the spirit of Christ, together with our death unto sin and our resurrection unto newness of life by virtue of the death and resurrection of Christ. Together with, I read that, the time of the outward application of the sign does not necessarily coincide with the inward work of the Holy Spirit, which the sign represents and seals to us. Because these gifts of salvation are the gracious provision of a triune God who is pleased to claim us as his very own, we are baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. In our baptism, the Lord puts his name on us, claims us as his own, summons us to assume the obligations of the covenant. 
He calls us to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, to renounce the devil, the world, and the flesh, and to walk humbly with our God in devotion to his commandments. The solemn vows are about to be made before you, and baptism is now to be administered. You who are baptized will do well to take this occasion to reflect on your own baptism. Christ has put his name and his claim on you. He calls you to be repentant for your sins against your covenant God, to confess your faith before men, and to live in newness of life to God, who sealed his covenant with you by the blood of his Son. And although our young children do not yet understand these things, they are nevertheless to be baptized. For God commands that all who are under his covenant of grace be given the sign of the covenant. God made the promise of the covenant to believers and to their offspring. In the Old Testament, he declared to Abraham, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and to your seed after you. For this reason, in the Old Testament, God commanded that covenant infants be given that sign of circumcision. The covenant, as we've been studying in Hebrews, the covenant is the same in essence in both the Old and New Testament. Indeed, the grace of God for the consolation of believers is even more fully manifested in the New Testament. Thus, rather than rescinding the covenant promise to believers and to their offspring, which we find nowhere in Scripture, he declares that the promise is unto you and to your children. Acts 2.39 He promises... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your house. Acts 16.31 He affirms that even if one parent is a believer, that the children are to be considered holy. 1 Corinthians 7.14 Moreover, our Savior admitted little children into his presence, embracing them and blessing them, and saying, of such is the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 14. And so in the New Testament, no less than in the Old, the children of believers have an interest in the covenant and a right to the covenant sign and to the outward privileges of the covenant people, the church. In the New Testament, baptism has replaced circumcision as this covenant sign. Therefore, by the covenant sign of baptism, the children of believers are to be distinguished from the world and solemnly admitted into the visible church. We don't admit them into the invisible church. That can only be done by the work of God through the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism demonstrates that. It shows us that. It illustrates it. But it doesn't accomplish it. It doesn't do the thing. We cannot save little Amelia, by my baptizing her. Only God can do that. And only God can do that by the work of his Holy Spirit that he gives to us 
as a gift of grace into our hearts so that it leads us to repentance and it leads us to placing our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Yet, we baptize and we baptize infants because of the continuation of that covenant of grace that has not been rescinded. And so we ask parents to stand and to make promises, to make vows, not just before us as family, as friends, as fellow members of the congregation, but more importantly, before God. And so Bill and Becky, if you would stand, please, at this time and answer sincerely before God each of the questions. First, do you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin, and therefore are subject to condemnation. They are holy in Christ by virtue of the covenant of grace, and as children of the covenant are to be baptized. How do you answer? Second, do you promise to teach diligently to Amelia the principles of our holy Christian faith, revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and summarized in the confession of faith and catechisms of this church. Do you promise to pray regularly with and for Amelia and to set an example of piety and godliness before her? And do you promise to endeavor by all the means that God has appointed to bring Amelia up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, encouraging her to appropriate for herself the blessings and to fulfill the obligations of the covenant. If you would then bring Amelia forward. baptized your sister? You do? Important lesson there, right? Right? She remembers this. Okay? We all should remember this. Not just the baptism of Amelia, but the baptism of ourselves and the baptism vows that we took when we brought our children here. She remembers. She will not forget question is, how often do we remember and how often do we forget? But God is faithful in all of his promises. Thank you for that answer, okay? And now we hope you never forget this as well. And we know you won't. That's why we're allowing you to have Amelia baptized, because we've seen you fulfill those promises that you just made, those vows, to these two precious girls as well. And she even comes to Thursday morning Bible study. Okay. Amelia, Beatrice, and Strina, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God's blessings to you. Okay. Congratulations. Congratulations. You have some big responsibilities now as Amelia's sister. 
okay? You have to set an example for her too. And you have to start praying for her that she comes to know Jesus as I know you know Jesus in your hearts as well. All right? Okay, we'll let you have a seat because we know this is uncomfortable. Brother Jim, would you offer prayer of thanks? Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, Lord, with gratitude in our hearts for what an amazing God you are. Lord, we thank you for this sign that we could see again tonight of your faithfulness and your promises made. We thank you for the, the uh, worship time that Bill and Becky spend here each week with our church family. We thank you for Amelia Beatrice, Lord, and we pray that you would work in her heart and life, too, to draw her to yourself. Be, too, with big sisters Izzy and Emma, that they would be a good example for her and point her to Jesus as well. And, Lord, as we have many family members in this church of parents and grandparents and even great-grandparents here tonight, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness throughout the generations. Pray that each one of us here in this church, too, will lift up these children especially Amelia, tonight, to teach her about our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now let's stand and sing, Because He Lives.
people say, Amen. You may be seated. At this time, we have opportunity to give our offering tonight uh, to help support the Westside Christian School, an opportunity for parents to indeed fulfill those vows that they have made uh, in the raising and training of their children so that even in their education, Christ becomes the center point, the centerpiece of all that they learn, whether it's their math, whether it's their spelling, whether it's uh, about the oceans, whether it's about history, whether it's about how to uh, parse verbs. It is all Christ-centered. And for that, we give and we give joyfully to this cause of the kingdom. God and Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for the opportunity to take this offering for Westside Christian School. Lord, we just pray that you would bless these funds as they are given to them. We pray to you, O Lord, that you would put a hedge of protection around them as many dark forces come against them in this world. And it's in your Son, Jesus Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We turn again in our hymn book, this time to uh, number 480. 480. Uh, we're singing our faith tonight. Not only in the words of the Apostles' Creed, not only in this great hymn of uh, the fact that we know that Jesus Christ has conquered death and that he lives, but also in the words of 480, which is uh, a versification, or uh, as many of you know, of the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism 
and uh, of its testimony to us as well. Let's stand and sing then the four stanzas, 480. May be seated. We turn in God's Word tonight to the book of Hebrews, and we come to chapter 11 once again. Hebrews chapter 11. For those of you who are visiting with us this evening, we're grateful God has brought you here and led you here and that you're joining us. Maybe some of you are here as for the baptism uh, to join with Bill and Becky and the family in this celebration, but also. Uh, Others of you might just be visiting. Um, we are on a series of messages uh, that we either have in the morning or evening uh, dealing with the book of Hebrews. Uh, we've started at chapter 1, verse 1. We're now up to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, in the other service, whether morning or evening, we're going through 
various trees that are noted in the Bible. This morning we had uh, a message on the great oak, uh, which is the tree in which uh, Absalom is left uh, hanging between earth and heaven. And uh, we noted the contrast between Absalom's rebellion and the one who is the true son of David, Jesus Christ, and his faithfulness and his obedience and his love and the victory that we just sung about a few moments ago as well. So now we're in Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation by faith, We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For who would ever draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Almighty God, once again, we come before you in the evening hour of this day. Father, grateful for the opportunity to come to your house to worship and to praise your name. Lord, we do pray for Pastor Bob and uh, his preparations for this message to us. We pray that you would give him clarity of mind and speech, that you would give us open eyes to see, ears that will hear, and hearts that will forever long for your word. 
Lord, please find us faithful in your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, because of previous messages, we've already begun to dig into Hebrews chapter 11, particularly in verses 1 and 2. So we're actually picking it up now at verse 3 as we consider this idea of faith, this reality of faith, this truth of faith, and the significance of that faith as it played out in the lives of the people that we read about so far in this chapter. By faith, we understand. That's one of the things that faith does. By faith, we understand. Secondly, our second point tonight is that emphasis that we come back to in this section of Hebrews chapter 11 of these all died in faith. By faith we understand and these all died in faith. And then to bring that then home to this evening of that which we have already done, this baptism. The fact that we baptize in faith as well. We do not baptize out of custom. We do not baptize out of ritual. We do not baptize just to make a nice ceremony for the family. We baptize in faith. And the only significance of a baptism is when it is done in faith. Even as we state when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that the supper, the eating of that piece of bread, the drinking of that cup, really have no significance. We're, we're just taking a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice if, if it isn't by faith. But if by faith we take and eat, oh, the difference that that makes. The same thing is true here. This requires faith to make a difference, to mean anything. And we'll come back to that. But first, by faith we understand. What is it that the author tells us that we understand by faith? And look at what he goes back to. He goes back to the significance again of creation. How important that foundational truth is to that which we believe. It comes back to this. When the author inspired by the Holy Spirit. In other words, when God then wants us to come to a better understanding of faith and what faith is, he's telling us that, that faith understands something very important about creation. It's not a secondary doctrine. It's not an unimportant truth. It's not insignificant. It's not something we can just set aside and say, well, you know, what one believes about creation really doesn't matter. What really matters is Jesus. That doesn't seem to be what the author of Hebrews, inspired by that spirit, is telling us. He's saying faith finds its foundation in understanding the truth of creation. And in particular, that that creation is not just, oh yeah, God made things. It's not that, that generic understanding that just about anybody can probably in some form put their stamp on. Listen to the specific here. 
By faith we understand that the universe was created. How? By the word of God. By God simply speaking the word. The universe. Not just earth. Not just our solar system. I don't know if you, you, you kind of marvel like I do at, at the pictures that come back from this, this Mars rover. And, and we get to look at this planet that is just a bare little speck to us. And, and we get to see the surface of it. But the amazing thing is if you and I were standing there, we'd look out and we'd see far beyond that yet. This universe so that this universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made not out of things that are visible all oh, that important understanding of creation ex nihilo out of nothing there is no some primordial ooze there, there, there are no certain atoms that were in existence that came together. There is no big bang. God speaks the word. And the universe, out of nothing, comes into existence. I am convinced, brothers and sisters in Christ, that one of the reasons the church of Jesus Christ is just treading water these days is because we have no foundation left. We've argued it away. We've bargained it away. We've sold the soul of our faith to the science who knows about as much about no, I'll say it this way. I'll, I'll be careful. They know less about the creation than they know about a COVID. They know less. They weren't there. They have no idea. They have no clue. And they completely reject this idea. By faith we understand the creation comes about by the word of God. But do you understand why the author is so insistent upon that? Because he wants us to understand the other aspect of creation. And that's the aspect of recreation. That's the aspect of our salvation. Just as creation comes about by the word of God and by the word of God only, so does our recreation. In other words, so does our being made new in the image of Christ. So does our salvation take place solely, solely by the word of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Turn with me there. It's, we'll, we'll go through these. If I have to take two sermons to get through this, we'll take two. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. I don't create faith. I don't make faith. 
I don't take this little bit of faith that God plants in me, and then I hatch the faith. It's all God, by the word of God. It's all God. Just as he created out of nothing this universe, he creates out of nothing me. He creates a believer in Jesus Christ by his word. So that we come to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and we read those words that the just are justified by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It is by faith. Just as the foundational element of understanding faith is understanding creation, so the fundamental element of understanding our recreation, our being born again, is by the word of God. The reformed faith and the reformers were insistent. And I want you to listen carefully. The reformers were insistent. That what we did this morning be done. John Calvin's no sell-off. He's not like, well, you know, I, I'm going to get to Catholic Church, but everything, well, not in baptism. I don't dare do that. Really? John Calvin not daring to go against the Catholic Church. Martin Luther not daring to go against the Catholic Church. John Knox not daring to go against the Church of England. The Catholic Church, excuse me. This was significant to them. Why? Because when you take a little baby and you put water on them and you baptize them, you know, you are reminded, faith doesn't come from me. It can only come from God. We are but helpless infants. No. We're condemned infants. Born in sin. Conceived in sin. Full of sin. And it's only by the word of God. Not through the reason of my mind, not through my will, not through my abilities. Oh yeah, I come to be baptized. God wants to remind us in an infant, it isn't you, buddy, it's me. I'm the one who gives you faith as a gift. So that you are justified by the faith. That I give. So that you have a hope. So that you have assurance. Oh did you catch that? That's verse 1 right? Of Hebrews chapter 11. But what is that hope? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the tent of our earthly home is destroyed we have a building from God a house and listen to how this fits into what we read in Hebrews 11 and I'll come back to it but a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for in this tent we groan longing 
to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be fully clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. And we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil, and praise God. Our representative has done only not only that which is good, but that which is perfect and holy and righteous. And we are clothed in his righteousness. So when I stand before the judgment seat of God, I know I'm entering the city. Because it's Christ's righteousness that clothes me. By faith, we live. See, by faith, we understand not only creation, but we understand our recreation. Now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Now what the author is going to do through the Spirit is he's going to take us through this list of individuals. Now we're not going to get through the whole list this evening. Okay, that's why I stopped where I did. But as we begin this, what I want you to note is the fact that we have been told they did not receive those promises here. Because the promises were not earthly promises. The promises were spiritual promises. But they did see them. They beheld them. But they all died. They all died without receiving the promises. These all died. But what Hebrews 11 is reminding us is, yes, they died, but they all lived by faith. They lived by faith. They lived every day with an understanding of creation, with the understanding of God's spiritual call to come home. They lived every day. By faith. Who's mentioned? Well, in our list for this evening, we have Abel. What did Abel do? He offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Why was his better than Cain's? Because he offered it by faith. What about Enoch? What did Enoch do? He pleased God. How did Enoch please God? He walked with God by faith. For it is impossible, the text told us, to please God without faith. So he spent time walking with God. In faith. Who else are we told about? We're told about Noah. What does Noah do? By faith, he constructs an ark. That's what he does. 
He believes what God has said. He believes the promises of God. He trusts God. And so he acts. This is, listen for the cue, faith in action. Good job. What does Abraham do? Abraham left his homeland and went to Canaan, not even knowing where he was going to go. God didn't say, I'm taking you to Canaan. He just said, go where I'm going to show you. By faith, he does this. He knows God is the creator. He knows God is his redeemer. He lives every day by faith. Trusting the promises of God. What did Sarah do? Did you find this one kind of interesting? She conceives a child. By faith. She trusted God's promise. I know oftentimes with Sarah, she, she kind of gets the bad rap because of, of the passage we had a number of weeks ago where she's laughing in the tent at, at what God has said. But listen to what it says here about her. Right? She trusted the promises of God. She considered him faithful who had promised. Even though she's past, well past the ability to conceive. By faith. It is faith, you see, that acts. Faith that continually acts. Faith that doesn't sit in the head. Faith that doesn't just become some cerebral exercise. It is faith that works. It is faith that exemplifies. It is faith that continually acts and acts and acts and acts and acts. Because they had a hope. See, that's what, that's, as, as he finishes this section, that's what he comes to, right? These all died in faith, verse 13. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them from afar and acknowledged that they were strangers on this earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Here? No. See, these people who acted by faith were acting that way because they knew that there was somewhere else that they were going. There was somewhere else that they were heading. There was a city that God was building for them. Not here. Not on this planet. Not in this earth. Not in this time frame. And they believed. And they lived in faith. They lived today in faith based Upon the hope of that city. But remember, hope is not a wish. Hope is a solid, firm assurance and trust. That's why they are being commended. They knew they were strangers and aliens here. Now I wonder sometimes if that's, if that's really what our faith believes. 
Are we really invested by faith in that city, in that spiritual home? Or is our investment here? Do we hold the things of earth so tight that one even wonders if God will be able to pry them from our hands upon our death? Because our life is, is so consumed with the here and the now. Faith is consumed with the there and the then. And yet every day, we live and we walk. Every day, we conceive. Every day, we follow God's command. Every day, we heed God's call. Every day, we build our ark. Every day, we walk with God. Every day, we offer the better sacrifice. Because our eye isn't here. We have seen by faith that which awaits. The city, the better country, the new Jerusalem, glory. Verse 14. They're seeking a homeland, a heavenly one. Verse 16, a better country. For he has prepared for them a city. It was only just over a little over a week ago that at the funeral for Bill's grandfather, who had reached the grand age of 99 years and 360 days, what is a man? At 99 years and 360 days has it have his eyes upon. This world? Here? This stuff? Well, this is what we sang. What a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face. The one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. No more pain. No more parting over there. But forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. See, that's Abel. Singing as he offers his sacrifice. That's Enoch as he's walking with God. That's Noah. As he's putting together the ark. That's Abraham as he's journeying from Ur to a land he doesn't even know. That's Sarah conceiving a child. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. That's faith. That's how faith lives. 
not knowing every single word in a theological dictionary. That's nice. It's good. But that's not the end all of faith. Faith is living that glorious hope, assurance that we sung about with, I have no other comfort. And you see, it is out of that kind of faith, it is that kind of belief, it is that hope, that hope of assurance, that we come to this baptismal font. We, we come here with that kind of faith. Bill and Becky bring Amelia with that kind of faith, looking, looking to that city. Trusting the promises of God. Amelia, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, Amelia, you too will be part of that city. That's why we don't want to deny this to our children. That's why we don't want to keep them from it. We want them to hear that precious promise of our God. And we as parents bring them in faith, trusting that promise of God. But we have to act. Right? Faith acts. Faith is an action. Faith is being put to work. We act. What's our responsibility? What actions does God call us from from this moment of faith? Well, to Abel, it was offer a better sacrifice. To Noah, it's build an ark. To Abraham, it's leave. For you and I, as we come to this place of faith, let me give you four. Four actions. One, we are to teach our children the truth. At this fount, we become responsible of teaching our children truth. And first and foremost, that has to begin with the truth of creation. This, this baptism of faith requires that. That's Hebrews 11. We want our children to know the truth. We want them to know the truth about baptism. We want them to know the truth about election. We want them to know the truth about Jesus Christ's limited atonement. We want them to know the truth about our own depravity. We want them to know the truth that God is sovereign in all things. We want to know them to know the truth that homosexuality and lesbianism is immoral and wrong. We want them to know the truth that abortion is the killing of a human being. We want them to know the truth. 
Let me ask you a question. Are they in a place of truth tonight? Now, some of you can look down the aisle. Yeah, you're, you're here. Others of you who can't look at your children right now, are they in a place of truth? Or did you say, oh, you can go worship in a denomination. It doesn't matter. You're in church. But they're not hearing the truth. And that matters. That matters. Because you took a vow. You took a vow to teach them the truth. Don't palm it off on someone else. It's your responsibility. If you're still paying the bills, it's your responsibility. See, this calls for action. Do you think it was easy for Noah to build an ark and the basic of all that laughter and ridicule? Of course not. Do you think Abraham's family might have been said, you're nuts. You're nuts. You're leaving the good life here in Ur, and you're going to go where? I don't know. God's going to show me. You're nuts. What are you doing today, Enoch? I'm walking with God. Foolish man. Abel, what are you doing over there? I'm offering my sacrifice in faith. Doesn't matter. Just offer the sacrifice. It matters. Secondly, we are to exemplify for our children a true love of Jesus Christ. A true passion for Christ. That they see in us People of faith in Christ. That they hear from us about the love of Christ. That they hear from us about the coming of Jesus Christ to die upon a cross to save us from our sins. That we exemplify by the way we handle difficulties, by the way we handle stresses and strains, by the way we handle difficult news, by the way we handle things that don't go our way, that we still trust an almighty, sovereign God, that he is still our refuge and he is still our strength. Not only do we are we obligated to act by teaching our children and to exemplify to our children? But we are called to pray for our children. We're to be called upon our knees, praying, praying, praying. Lord. Not, oh, they were baptized, they're going to be saved, it's okay. I don't have to do anything else. They're in, they're in because Pastor Bob put some water on Amelia. That's it, she's in, she's saved. That is not the teaching at all. And any teaching that would smack of that 
is not reformed. This baptism of fire, for those of you who have brought your children here, whether here or in another church, you're obligated to pray for them. Fervently. Pray. Like Christ in the garden. Yet not my will, but thy will be done. that's all of our responsibility. Our baptismal form continues by saying the following. As Amelia is baptized into Christ and becomes a member of his visible church, the whole congregation is obligated to love her and to receive her as a member of the body of Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body and therefore are members of one another. Christ claims this little one as his own and calls you to receive her in love and commitment. Therefore, you ought to commit yourself before God to assist Amelia and her parents in her Christian nurture. How? By your godly example, by prayer, and by encouragement in our most precious faith. But in particular, that responsibility falls upon Bill and Becky. For the words continue, beloved in Jesus Christ, we give thanks to God for this child that he has given to you. For your expressed desire for Amelia to know the Lord and to follow him all her days. Along with the great blessing of the gift of this child has come responsibility that you have just acknowledged in those vows. And to which you have solemnly committed yourself. I charge you. To continue steadfastly in the commitments that you have made today before God and these witnesses. Humbly relying upon the grace of God and the diligent use of the means of grace. Especially the word of God, the sacraments and prayer. We need to act folks. Baptism calls us to put faith into action. How? By teaching our children. As a congregation. As parents, to exemplify for our children as a congregation for our, and for Bill and Becky. To pray as a congregation for our children and for Bill and Becky to do so. But there's one more thing. One more thing. The faith of baptism calls us to the action of encouraging our children to know Christ. We want to encourage them that they believe in Christ, that they trust in Christ, that they hope in Christ. Because faith is necessary. It is impossible to please God without faith in Christ. And with faith in Christ, you see, we look past this world. And we see glory. 
there's Christ waiting. What a day that will be. Amen. What a day that will be when his face. I don't want to see my dad's face. I don't want to see my mom's face. I don't want to see the face of the grandchildren that the Lord has taken out of our lives already. I want to see the face of Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for the preciousness of your word. Thank you for its call upon our lives. And oh, Lord, what a day. What a day. It's going to be. Until that day, let us live by faith. Every moment that you give to us. Every day, every week, every month, every year. Let us live. Let us act. By the glorious hope that you've given to us in and through. Jesus Christ. In his name, God's people say, amen. We close with the song that was on the other side of the sheet, Faith of Our Fathers. Not thinking of our particular uh, biological father, but thinking of our spiritual father. My father was never chained in prisons dark. But I know those who were, those who throughout history have suffered for the cause. They were people of faith. They were called at their particular time to stand up for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That may be our day as well, brothers and sisters. So faith of our fathers, living still. May it be living still in you and I. Let's stand and sing the three verses.
Now may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may the Lord make his face to smile upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord grant you peace. Now go in his name and live as his people. Amen? Amen. Amen.